Welcome to the Mission Matters podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. The Christian faith is based on the belief of incarnation. We as human creatures are incarnational. The stuff of our lives actually matters. What we see, what we hear, what we feel. Jesus Christ claimed not just to value the word of God as it is given to us in the law or in the commandments. Jesus Christ claimed to be the word of God. Incarnation is the very premise of what it means to be a Christian. Incarnation is what we celebrate as we prepare to celebrate Christmas next week. Incarnation is about the beauty and gift that we are and can be one to another. Welcome back to Mission Matters. I am Virginia Herbers out of the Office of Mission, and I am joined today by Gina Marys, the director of the Reinert Center. Gina, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So you get to use this as your commercial, your plug, your um, explanation, your exhortation, whatever you want it to be for the entire SLU community to know what the Reinert Center is, why you exist, what's the best part of it, anything and everything. Okay, well, the Reinert Center is a comprehensive teaching center at St. Louis University. We serve all faculty, graduate students, teaching staff, and anybody who's thinking about teaching, really, at St. Louis and in Madrid. Uh, So anybody who's thinking about teaching, wants to consider the ways in which they're teaching, think more deeply, more intentionally about their teaching, that's what we're here for. So you're hopefully having a steady stream of faculty through your doors all the time. We are very lucky. We've always been very supported by faculty and very utilized and we, we get to have wonderful conversations and workshops and thinking about teaching in all different ways. What are some of the questions that you get asked? Or what are some of the things that people present to you when they come to you? Well, most recently we have the pandemic. So when we moved to remote teaching, it was a lot about how do we do this? Uh, how do we think about engaging with our students? How do we engage across distance? How do we promote connection in our courses? between students, among students, and with ourselves. And now that we're back on campus, it's reconnecting face-to-face. How do we interact with each other in the classroom, even though we may be physically distanced a bit, we're all wearing masks still. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we keep that connection going? How do we continue to engage in learning? So what are your answers? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have the frustrating habit of asking more questions than we give answers. But generally, we start with the context, and you know, certainly that goes to the heart of the Ignatian pedagogical paradigm that we use as really the beginning and end of everything we do in the Reinhardt Center. So we think about the context for each individual course, who the students are, who the instructor is, and what the purpose is of you know, whatever question that teacher has. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about the Ignatian pedagogical paradigm. Sure. So that comes out of Ignatian spirituality. It's grounding in the relationship between the person going through the retreat. So the retreatant is the student, and 
we as teachers are their guides. So that's sort of where the parallel comes from. But the idea is that we think about the different parts of the paradigm, which are context, mm-hmm. action, reflection, experience, and evaluation. So we often talk about those individually as though they're uh, separate entities of the paradigm, but really what we know is they all work together, they're intertwined, they don't necessarily happen in one particular order, even though that's often how we talk about it, just because you have to take things apart to be able to talk about them. Um, But the real exciting thing is when we get into a real classroom with real people and real learning happening, all of those things are happening all at once. And so being very intentional about being attentive to each one of those as they're happening and how they intersect with each other is really the exciting part of using it in teaching. How did you get involved in all this? Like, how did this first (laughs) captivate you? Or did it happen by accident? (laughs) Um, I think it happened by accident. All of my higher education has been in Jesuit schools. So in graduate school, I think it's the first time I really encountered Ignatian pedagogy. Um, It's still sort of a recent thing, you know, in in terms of the 500 years (laughs) that we have. So I really experienced it then, started to study it um, as a graduate student, and then began using it in my own teaching, both as a graduate student and then as a beginning assistant professor. So I've been studying it for quite a long time, and of course there's always something new to understand about it and the ways in which it can be used in a variety of different disciplines and different contexts. Can you maybe give an example of a situation that would be presented to you that you would be able to guide the instructor through using this paradigm versus a parallel structure at a different university that didn't use this paradigm and the advice they might be given in a learning lab? You know, I think one of the gifts of Ignatian pedagogy is it works really well with other frameworks as well. And so I think any framework that somebody might already know from a different context, a different university, they can apply and intertwine with Ignatian pedagogy. So for instance, if we're thinking about course design, thinking about the framework of backward design, starting with what we want people to learn, what we want our students to leave our courses knowing or being able to do, and then going backwards thinking, okay, if that's what we know we want them to leave with, how will we know that they're leaving with that? And then what are the experiences that they'll have in order to know how to do those things or in order to know that information? So that same framework really works well with Ignatian Pedagogy because we want to think about the evaluation part of it. How will people know or be able to show us um, what they know? What are then the actions that they'll go through to do that? And then, you know, what are the uh, experiences that will give students the opportunities to experience in our courses, regardless of what those experiences are? I like to tell people that, for me, experience is sort of the most exciting part of the paradigm, and I think the most overlooked But I really like to talk to people, and and anybody who's talked to me about Ignatian Pedagogy probably is tired of hearing me say it, because I say it so often. But when we think about the things in our courses as everything being a learning experience, it just imbues that whole notion in just such a different intentional feeling when you're thinking about, these are all experiences in my class taking attendance as an experience, if, if we think about that, then how does that change 
how we interact with our students. So even the very smallest things can be learning experiences. And when we think about them that way, it makes everything deeper and more exciting and more effective. It sounds to me like you're talking about finding God in all things. Exactly. I've never heard that used in the context of taking attendance. Right. <laughs> but if Ignatius was right, then he was right. I mean, we, we take for granted all these different interactions that we have in the classroom that seem just normal every day, and then we don't pay attention to them. But as soon as we do start paying attention to them, there's so much meaning in everything that we're doing together. I wonder if there would be such a thing, or have you ever heard of, or would you consider creating a pedagogical examen? We have thought about that, and certainly in in much of our programming, especially around Ignatian Pedagogy, we do short versions of Mm. that at the end of programming. Um, But yes, a longer version would be great, wouldn't it? Wow, okay, so besides intersecting with just um, professors across the different disciplines and different colleges on the university campus, is there any specific population that might be listening out there in the SLU family that you would like to do a specific shout out to and say, you know, come by and just see what we're all about? You know, I think we're really lucky in that we have faculty, graduate students, and teaching staff all over the entire university. So I don't think that there's any one population that we're missing completely. But what I would say is, I think because of the pandemic, we've all forgotten a little bit about things that are happening in person, things that are available to us beyond just the immediate things that we have to take care of. And everyone's so exhausted that it's easy to forget that there are more things beyond just the immediate tasks at hand. So I think I would use it to just remind people that the Reinhardt Center is here to support you even if you're exhausted or maybe because you're exhausted and want to try something different so that maybe you'll be a little bit more energized. And we're here if you're new to SLU and you joined us during the pandemic and you haven't gotten to really learn about us, we're here also. I think that we've forgotten a little bit about anything that's not remote or online and we're just now getting reacquainted with whatever normal face-to-face classes are going to be. So I think that's another thing is to just remember that we're here to support all kinds of teaching. We're here to help you think about DEI issues. We're here to help you to think about accessibility issues as well as just normal everyday. I've been teaching for 20 years and now I'm a little bit concerned that I don't know who my students are anymore because so much has changed. Or I'm brand new to teaching and the whole world seems different than when I was a student because it kind of is. Right. <laughs> so I think any population, I think we all could use a little re-energizing and rethinking about our teaching. Yeah, it's funny as you um, talked about people being exhausted. You know, that's that seems to be kind of obvious. But I've been wondering lately... I think there's different kinds of exhaustion and there's exhaustion because you've got so much to do and you're trying to keep all those plates spinning, right? But I'm not certain that there's not an exhaustion that is just kind of bored of doing the same thing. I think that gives us a different kind of weariness and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of that out there. 
what I see is that we all expected that we were able to take a pause and reevaluate, but what reality showed us is that we didn't really, right? It felt like everything was accelerated mm. at a time when we most needed to be able to reevaluate, take a breath, and figure things out was the exact time that everything felt like it was actually accelerated, that we had additional expectations, that we were even more unsure about what the right thing to do was for all sorts of reasons. So I think that that's another kind of exhaustion is just not feeling like we've had a break because even if the days have given us some breaks, our minds have to continue going and thinking and planning. And so I think even faculty who are on nine-month contracts weren't really able to get back to the research that they're used to being able to do over the summer because they had to devote it to teaching. And while we are happy that they're focused on their teaching, we know that that's exhausting work. Mm -hmm. And it's exhausting to know that you have research on the back burner that you really want to get to and that you really need to get to. So it all kind of comes together. So the last guest we had was Eric Anderson talking about student well-being, and he touched just a little bit on the same kinds of experiences that, of course, we all are having, too, as, as faculty or as staff. And so this is kind of an interesting dovetail. What a gift it is to know that there are resources available, like right over at Pius Library on the second floor, <laughs> to <laughs> show up, and there's help. Yes. I mean, we have really added to our repertoire of wellness and well-being. I know well-being is really what we're talking about more for both students, but also for faculty. So we want faculty to have the resources to help their students and to make their courses more readily adaptable for students. But we also want to be able to be attentive to faculty well-being also. And I think that that's something that we forget about a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. All right. Um, what of your experience at the center has been the most inspiring or motivating or energizing? You know, over the years, we've had a variety of different times when there's been low morale on campus for a variety of different reasons. Um, We've had crises. We've had really just awful, sad things happen. And yet, in the end, we all pull together. And I think this is a community who really cares about each other. And we find ways to incorporate that into whatever we're doing, even in those really difficult times. And that's always been just so inspiring for me to see, is that even when people are very angry or very hurt, they really rally together to take care of each other, even during those times. And I think that that's really inspiring. You know, you always hear about SLU being a community. And it's not just a slogan, is it? It's not. We really are focused on relationships and connection. And in those times of low morale, I often think it's because those are times that we're losing connection with each other. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we find ways to reignite that connection, to build those bridges, then things start to get better again. And we we really start to see who SLU is and the great things that SLU can do. Yeah, and admittedly, we don't always do it perfectly. No one does. Right. (laughs) But being able to stand up and brush ourselves off and try again. Exactly. That's the definition of courage. Exactly. 
What's the most important message in your mind to get out there about the center? We are here for all of the different things in teaching, all the topics, all of the aspects of teaching, not just one or the other. And we want to be partners. We want to help you with your programming. We want to help you think about how you engage with the faculty in your department. We are very happy to be places where we can listen and help brainstorm about ideas. We don't just work with individuals. We work with whole groups of people. We're happy to be the -the behind-the-scenes people that help you design something for your own faculty, your peers, your colleagues, for your own students. So it's not just us always needing to be the doers, but we want to be able to support individuals and groups of faculty and whatever they need for teaching. That's phenomenal. Okay, if you can, can you give us just a little story or vignette or snapshot into something that's happened recently or a success story? You know, we're, we're all just getting back full-time into the center. Mm-hmm. And so we were having a lot of programming still over Zoom. So little by little, we are adding in face-to-face things. So we had our advisory board meeting. That was our first face-to-face anything. And it was just amazing to see everyone's face light up as, as they walked in the room and saw their colleagues that they haven't seen in so long. Because, you know, these aren't just your department colleagues. These are colleagues from around the university that often only saw each other at advisory board meetings. And so that was really inspiring. And so we are thinking about how face-to-face programming can return. So we, we have an annual event, the Winter Institute, which many people look forward to. It's a day-long event, um, always focused on a topic that's connected to the, the, our, our theme of the year. So this year, our theme of the year is Ignatian Pedagogy to link in with the 500th anniversary. Very good. And the Winter Institute will be Ignatian Pedagogy at the intersection of well-being and inclusion. So we're very much looking forward to that. So it's not exactly a vignette of something that has happened, Mm -hmm. but I know it's something that will be invigorating to people both in terms of the programming itself, but also in terms of bringing people together who usually only got to see each other in person once a year anyway, and now we've been away from each other even longer. So we're pretty excited about that. Is that by invitation only? No, anyone can come. All right, there's your commercial. There it is. It'll be in January. You'll begin seeing things about it in our What's Happening in the Reinhardt Center email that goes out, as well as on our events page. So we hope people will be able to attend and get everything they can out of that. And it's a one-day? It's a one-day thing, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, What else about the Reinhardt Center needs to be said? I think new and exciting things are on the way. We continue to think about how we encourage uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. It's something we've cared about all along, and we're finding new ways to bring that to people to give people ways to connect into it. So we continue to have book groups, resource guides, workshops that are focused on that. But what we really want people to understand about it is it's not a standalone or an add-on thing. These are things that are part and parcel of all of the things that we do in the Reinhardt Center, as well as what we hope people are doing in their teaching as well. Integrated. Yes. 
So tell me a little bit about your staff. I have the best team in the entire university. We are a very close-knit group. So we have Mary Cook, who is our program manager. We have Sandy Gamble, who's our senior instructional developer. Christopher Graybaugh, who is an instructional developer. Robert Cole and Eric Royer, who are both also instructional developers. Uh, We also have two graduate students. So we have Victoria Carter and Mentis Not Tenney. And we also have an undergraduate student worker, Colleen Whedon. So we are a big group of people with all sorts of different expertise. All of our, our staff are ready and willing to be working with people, and it's really them who who do all of the wonderful, great things that the Reinhardt Center is. It's a fabulous team, and I just get to be part of them <laughs> and see the great work that they do. Well, it sounds like a great team for sure. It is. So let's imagine that I am a professor in a very specialized field, and I'm wondering, well, if I come to Reinhardt Center and nobody is familiar with my field, how can they really help me? How would you answer that? That's a great thing. I mean, most of the people that come to us, we don't know much about their field, right? (laughs) Because we all have our own disciplinary expertise. Right. Um, And just like that person probably won't be able to do our job. Uh, We don't want to try to do theirs either. But what we know is teaching cuts across all of our disciplines. So even though there are specific disciplinary expectations for any of our different courses or the ways in which we approach teaching and learning, there are many, many things that cut across all kinds of teaching. And so what we really think about is we want to be the generalist experts, if you will, on teaching itself. And we want to rely on you, the expert in your discipline, to figure out how best to use any strategies or techniques or tips that we might give to you. But in the end, what we're really going to be doing is talking to you about what you think is the best. We're certainly not going to keep any secrets of what the research tells us about effective teaching. But what it tells us the most is it's contextually based. It depends on who you are, who your students are, what you want them to be learning in your class. So thinking about how that learning happens is what we're here for, and all of the content and the rest is for you as as a disciplinary expert. You make me think of two things. One, I remember when I first was studying in undergrad and took a teaching course, the teacher basically said, no matter what subject you're teaching, no matter what level you're teaching, the number one thing you will be teaching is yourself. It is who you are that will come across as the major content to your students before anything else. Would you think that's true? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why identity issues are so important. And it's, it's astounding that we're just now starting to really pay attention to that as a large group. Um, to think about who we are walking into the classroom changes so much about how we're perceived, what students' expectations of us are. And then we do the same thing with our students, right? They come in and, and we think about them in different ways. And so being attentive to both sides of that is really important. I mean, we don't think about ourselves as bodies in the room and and thinking about the ways in which our brain tells our eyes to look in a certain way or how we're used to moving our body, which is why the way a room is set up 
is so important and it's part of teaching. It's mm. part of learning. So if you're a student in a classroom and you're completely physically uncomfortable in that room, it's going to affect all of your learning for that class, right? Right. So it's just our bodies and our minds are connected, especially when it comes to teaching and learning. Such simple things that upon reflection can make a big difference. Right. It's one of the reasons why we do teaching observations in the ways that we do. So everything we do in the Reinhardt Center is non-evaluative. Um, so when we're asked to do a classroom observation or teaching observation, we really try to look at all of the things that are happening in the class, what you're doing, what you're saying, what your body is doing, how you're saying things, what kinds of questions you're asking, and the same for your students. What are they doing? Are they you know, looking at their phone? Are they taking notes? Are they looking at the board? Whatever it is. How are they moving in the class? When are they starting to get bored? What, you know, how are they showing that? And really holding up a mirror to the instructor to show all of the things that are happening that we can't possibly be attentive to when we are the teachers ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important as a way to be able to reflect on your own teaching to have that mirror. What a great set of resources. To know that there's a whole team of people who exist to help the faculty do their jobs better and be more effective and relate better to students, that's not minimal. That's a big deal. We like what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so any last words? I don't think so. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you, Gina. It's been wonderful to have you with us. And for everyone else, thank you for listening, and be sure to follow us on social media, our Facebook and Instagram accounts at SLU Jesuit Mission. And if you know of a colleague who's living the mission quietly but out loud and somehow seems to be hidden in plain sight, contact us in the Office of Mission and Identity so we can highlight the good work that's happening. Until next time, let's remember, especially in this Ignatian year, we are one SLU, where mission matters. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU, and you can encounter it randomly. But good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way. God bless everyone.